Welcome to the Dreamcast Podcast. My name is Daniel Bozinski, and my goal is to help you find purpose and become the greatest version of yourself. Every week, our promise is to deliver one-of-a-kind stories of individuals who are pioneering purpose in their life. These are people I personally would have loved to have as mentors and leaders in my life in the past, and now they're right here at our fingertips. The Dreamcast guests are willing to be authentic, genuine, and human about their struggles and success. To me, purpose is priceless. And if you're looking to make an investment into your life yourself, I believe you've come to the right place. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's get started. Today's guest is an inspiration. Back in 2011, he had a world-changing idea. Raised in Cali and Hawaii, he wanted to transform the beverage industry from the inside out with a variety of social initiatives that he believed could be the new norm. He finally launched Waiakea, one of the fastest growing beverage companies and fastest growing premium bottled water companies in the United States. Waiakea has 26 employees and their mission is to sustainably provide natural, healthy, delicious Hawaiian volcanic water while contributing to and promoting clean water access, conservation, and education for those in need in Hawaii and throughout the world. Our guest has been featured on Forbes, Environmental Leader, Fortune, Food Navigator, and Good Morning America for his innovation. The company has massive statistics of growth, and he's been named one of the 10 most disruptive leaders in the industry by Beverage World Magazine. In a few months, they'll be celebrating the five-year anniversary with the company, and he continues to encourage people to drink healthy, drink sustainably, and drink ethically. Listen, Ryan is one of the most incredible leaders on top of all of these great accomplishments that really makes him a perfect guest for the Dreamcast. He is living out his purpose, one bottle of water at a time. Ryan Emmons, welcome to the Dreamcast. Daniel, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, really excited to have you here. You've got such an interesting background. It's kind of incredible. Tell us a little bit about yourself to jump into the show. Um, obviously, you spent your time in, in Hawaii and then Cali uh, in your childhood, and now this passion revolves around the places you grew up in. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so, um, you know, definitely not complaining about growing up in Santa Barbara and Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, those are both pretty amazing places. Uh, my parents, especially my mom, uh, were always extremely active in nature. I was always, you know, playing outside, uh, especially soccer and beach volleyball, hiking, traveling, and uh, I loved being in the water. And I actually learned to swim at the same time I learned to walk. So I've been in the water, in the water, you know, body surfing, surfing, free diving, surfing for for a really long time. And uh, you know, my mom would always open ocean swim for miles, and I think her comfortability and and happiness really kind of inspired me and uh you know my my family life has been amazing because my family is amazing cousins <laughs> and, and aunties and uncles uh both in hawaii and and on the mainland have been also have been super supportive since since i was born and just super super lucky and and i really i really wouldn't be here without them um and i i really believe that the company wouldn't have the same code of ethics and uh, and values if, if it wasn't for them. Well, tell us a little bit about that. Cause that, so I've got a few objectives and little selfish ambitions for wanting to kind of bring you on the show to learn about, you know, just, uh, you know, recycled materials, carbon neutral stuff we'll get into in a minute. But what are some of those values that kind of brought you to where you are today that you've learned subconsciously or unconsciously through your family? 
Yeah, so I think that, so my, my parents were super involved in a number of different nonprofits uh, since I was a child. Um, and, you know, some of those involved clean water, but a lot of those involved um, education for those below the poverty line. And so I think there was always this essential need that was really shown to me since, since again, since I was a baby. Uh, to give back and to really realize what you have, uh, you know, not just in terms of like, you know, a stable income, but, you know, love, education, all these things that I've been so fortunate to have and that giving those back is actually what can give you the biggest happiness. Um, and so, you know, we wanted to incorporate that into our business model with, uh, you know, we're, we're in the process of being uh, a certified B, B Corp benefit corporation, so we'll be one of the first uh, premium bottled waters and beverages in the world to do that. So we're really excited about that. Cool. And, um, you know, I think it's just really evident by the fact that one of our pillars is, uh, or to both two of our pillar, two of our three pillars for the company are live sustainably, live ethically. That's cool. Yeah, I love that. What's the third one? Uh, that's live healthy. <laughs> I, I thought also so. Very important. Yeah, that's very important. Okay, so tell. Okay, one of my desires is this. So there, there's a lot of individuals, including myself, that I'm not as in tune or, you know, I don't have the knowledge or understanding of the eco-friendly using recycled materials at the level that I believe you have it because there's this massive priority on the company for that. And then the whole carbon neutral thing, like if I were to be really honest, I don't even know what that means. I just know it's it's something good. So could you kind of just educate us on the process? Um, because th the company is doing pretty historic things in the entire water industry. Everything going back to locals, everything going back into funding and helping and providing and lessening that 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 footprint. So educate us a little bit and then tell us about um, tell us about that process. Yeah, so we, um, in terms of the carbon neutral stuff, we offset the entirety of our logistics, manufacturing, and office operation um, to a net zero carbon footprint through a number of different internal initiatives. Um, so A, we use 100% RPET bottles that have a 95% smaller carbon footprint than regular uh, PET bottles. Those are made, basically our bottles are made out of other recycled bottles. Great. Um, and then we use post-consumer recycled corrugated uh, for all our, our cases and our packaging. Um, our new facility uh, actually runs off of 33% renewable energy, 25% of which is geothermal. And then on top of that, we, uh, we also do multiple, re we, we participate in multiple regional reforestation projects um, all throughout the country. Um, so we have uh, a COA reforestation initiative on the Big Island. We have a R Garcia River project up in Northern California and, and a bunch of others. And so, so yeah, that's kind, of, that's kind of a little taste. And then we have a couple things in the woodworks that we're, that we're working for that we think will be uh, really substantial for the industry. Uh, but those are probably going to take probably six to 12 months away. So would you so. say that like, so this is just out of curiosity too. Would you say that like what you're doing is really challenging the status quo of the other water companies to be more socially responsible? I mean, you're doing it obviously very respectfully, but like, 
are people in these other companies like, wow, like we need to step it up here. Yeah. And so I think we've already seen that to a certain extent in the last couple of years, we've seen more and more companies using our pet, which is like our, you know, our number one desire was, you know, for that outcome. The idea is that, you know, people can hate bottled water and I totally understand, you know, one might think it's ironic that I consider myself to be an environmentalist, but the reality is if we're able to change the industry, the industry and the industry standards from the inside out, that's really the biggest impact that we can have because it's not going away. And that's the reality, right. you know, as much as some people, you know, it's, it's bottled water is extremely easy to, um, to demonize, you know, I mean, I understand that because, you know, you have obviously bigger companies that aren't looking at the sustainable yield and, and your desire you is know, like, even if you kind of move the needle forward, I like that language. Just if you move the needle 5%, 10%, I mean, that's like massive. Yeah. I mean, and think about if everyone, you know, offset the entirety of their, <laughs> of their footprint and also mitigated their water footprint by using again, only sources that have releases significant sustainable yields you're talking about a massive impact not only for you know carbon dioxide and 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 other gases but you're also talking about mitigating you know water use so i think the biggest challenge is that these things are pretty costly you know like our pet bottles can be two or three times as expensive but (laughs) with but with the improvement of our recycling centers and the increase in recycling rates, um, you know, we're seeing that our pet is, you know, eventually with, with, with more adoption, we can slowly get that price down. Great. Um, and so it really can become mainstream, but we have to show people that people, you know, they want to, that, that's what they're looking for. So again, what's your age right now too, Ryan? So I just turned 27. Great. Well, happy birthday. (laughs) It's remarkable what you're doing at such a young age. And one of the things that came to my mind is like, where did you find this natural water source? Were like, were you as a young kid climbing, you know, 15 years old, some mountain and found a river and said, Hey, one day I'm going to make bottled water from this, you know, natural water source. And like, how do you like, where, where did that whole story come along? Yeah, so we actually originally, um, we don't anymore. We use a source that's actually very, very close. Uh, in altitude, minerality, et cetera. But we originally used my, my Hawaiian family source, uh, and I literally tried it. It was a, a natural spring water, and it, so it came to the surface. And so I, I actually you know, tried it just in my hand, and it was delicious. had this hint of sweet, um, and was super smooth due to the silica content. And you know, I think I kind of had that in the back of my head, but then I was just obsessed with water in general. When were you a kid? Like you were young? No, I was in high school, um, and I started kind of obsessing with water on the side. So looking at like water infrastructure, um, seeing if there were like better versions of of desal out there, um, you know, you name it. Um, and then you know, basically, when I was at USC in the entrepreneur program, I, I realized that even though it's hyper competitive and the barriers of, to entry are huge, I thought that we could um, that there was a possibility. Because not a single premium water was really addressing consumer preferences or needs um, towards products with a social cause, um, towards a product that had some naturally functional benefits, and towards 
a product that was able to address their environmental needs. It's so amazing to me how like you're just this young Ryan that's passionate about water and like just because you kind of pursued your passion and your desire to kind of make a difference in people's lives, be socially responsible, live ethically, live healthy, like this whole big thing now is created because you decided to really do something with your life. I mean, I was really lucky too, Dan, because, you know, I, a lot of my classes at USC were, were because I was so lucky, I I knew what I wanted to do early on. You know, I was able to really tailor my classes at USC around the development of this company. And so I actually took, uh, I was like pretty fairly into geology and I took a couple of hydrology classes. So you were in the zone, like you, like you were preparing. (laughs) And then I did a lot of like, I did a lot of research on all the volcanic aquifer systems in, in so why not like why not the current like what this is just something that's I mean standard but why not like the hey I'm gonna go and work for a company like that just wasn't even a thought that was like no like you were driven you were like pulled by the vision I thought that there you know there's people always talk about how timing is everything and I thought that we had an opportunity because because the industry is dominated by such larger players to really be the innovative product um, and that no one else is really going to step up to the extent that that we could. Um, and so, and so, yeah, you know, I, I it, you know, for better, <laughs> the reality is when you're 22 um, and launching a company, it's, you know, I, I obviously, you weren't thinking, <laughs> everything through let's be real Dan you yep. know it's um <laughs> so but I, I'm really glad I kind of the benefit of being 22 is that you're relatively fearless yeah um so but yeah it's been it's been amazing so another thing that comes up is if you've got individuals tuning in right now in our conversations uh, they're wanting to make their dream a reality hence them tuning into the dreamcast I'm even here listening to you writing notes I want to be better I want to be my best version like, what are some of your bits of advice? Because I don't, it doesn't matter if you're young. It doesn't matter if you're 18, 22, 29, 35, 42, 62, 50. It doesn't matter. There's always, if, if you create something now, look at you did in just a couple years, right? So what would be your advice on just kind of taking that vision and passion and not talking about it anymore, but putting action to it? What's some advice you'd give on that? So I... So I have, you know, I'm all for following your vision, but the problem is that some entrepreneurs want to follow their vision blindly because they're obsessed with it and they're in love with it. And I think it's really important that you are, you know, obsessed and in love with your idea, but you also need to qualify it. Um, And so I really recommend for all entrepreneurs to do, um, you know, kind of a formal feasibility analysis to really determine, is there a market need for this? Will people buy it? Um, so walk us through a little bit of that process. Like what are the five steps to that feasibility? You know, so you're determining, you're looking at market trends. Okay. You're seeing, you're, you're determining what the business structure is going to be and if you can actually have a profit. Okay. Um, you're seeing, okay, is this, uh, is this, can this business be a permanent, like, you know, 10 plus year business or is this just a fad? Um, and you're really, I'm happy to send, you know, a link 
to to you to you Dan and, and to all your all your listeners and kind of a step by step process. Um, but that was really key for me uh, in you know I, I just think too many people again fall in love with their idea without qualifying it. And so that's what I would really recommend. And then, you know, the other thing is you got to stay positive, um, especially when people are tearing down, you know, your vision for what you want to do and saying that it's unrealistic, you know. And I feel like if you really that's tell good. yourself, you know, we have something here, but again, you qualify it with that feasibility <laughs> analysis, then, you know, just you got to keep on going for it. And I think that for some entrepreneurs that are worried about, you know, going all in because they just don't have the funds, I really recommend you can still have a gig and you can launch a company on the side and get it to a point where it's cash flow break even and where it's proven and then jump all in. And I think that too many people think that, you know, you really, you can't do that. And I implore people to think in that way because it mitigates risk. You know, I'm obviously I am one of those people that (laughs) jumped in, but I also jumped in really early and after I graduated college early and, you know, once I was in, there was no, there was no comeback (laughs) and I have absolutely no regrets, but you know, I have a lot of friends that are trying, that are now, you know, in their late twenties, thirties, forties, even fifties, um, and they're like, they come to me and that's one of the first questions they ask. And I'm like, look, like start working on it on the side. Right. Right. I really believe that there's no greater time than today. There's so often we, we look at our nine to five, which might be the obligation. It might be school. It might be, uh, you're a mother, a stay-at-home mother, stay-at-home father. You might be, uh, going to college. You might be working another job, but you've got this whole six to 12 AM and even the 12 to 3 AM. And it's like, I mean, I really believe that even if your passion isn't going to be the thing that you draw your greatest profits from, there's just something about doing something that's greater than doing nothing. It seems so elementary. It's so elementary, but it's so epic. Just kind of working with your hands and making a difference. And like you even talked about just going and volunteering and for, for nonprofits and okay. So tell me this, you're young, you're in this, uh, you know, industry. What are some of the particular challenges of being young are those just mental limitations or are they actual objections as a leader that you have to overcome? So a, you know, first challenge is as a really young entrepreneur is managing a team of, you know, I've, I've been the captain on sports teams, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, and I've like done like simulations you know, in a lot of different things and managed, you know, teams of, of volunteers, but, you know, never people that were, you know, 10, 20, 30 years older than me. Um, now we have about 26 employees. Uh, and so that's, I think the first thing is, you know, kind of really understanding how to be a, a humble leader that people can respect, but also, um, you know, being comfortable with allowing, yourself to not always be right and realizing that that is what is going to make a lot of these people that are more experienced uh, and in some cases more intelligent than you to uh, to be comfortable and to see you as a leader that's cool um, and then you know in our specific industry you know it's really hard when you're you know 22 to know the lay of the land in terms of distribution especially because I didn't have another job and food and beverage and 
um, and, and really how massive it is in scale. And so much of your success is determined on like product differentiation and absolutely killing your pitch because you really have zero relationships to fall back on. Right. Um, like everything's in, coming from nothing to something, right? Yeah. And every, I mean, every realistically, the beverage industry is dominated by people in their fifties. And so, you know, you just, you aren't going to have those relationships. Um, and so, you know, I really, one of the things for me is I didn't realize how important an experienced, uh, advisory board would be. And so we really didn't have a solid advisory board until two years after we launched. And it really like changed myself and the business by countering my inexperience. And I think that, um, what well, was good because my inexperience allowed me to have kind of a broader and more positive vision of what our brand could be without like as many limitations. Um, you know, at the same time being young meant that I made a lot of mistakes. So, and <laughs> so what does that mean to like how many, so tell me this, how many people are on the advisory board? What are their average ages? And then what's an example just cause I think it's so cool. You're painting such a powerful picture just so you know too, Ryan, but like, what do you go to them and say, Hey, I've got this pitch. I've got coming up with a really big company, whether it be, you know, a distributor or whatever it is. And you're like, I don't know what to do or what does that look like? What they help you with? Yeah, so I mean, one of my first advisors, <clears throat> who's become one of my good good friends, was uh, Dan McCombe of um, of Aruna Tea, which is uh, kind of a you know they're probably in about um, ten thousand stores, uh, including Whole Foods. Um, but they basically, you know, with Dan, it was a perfect situation because Dan also launched his brand out of college. He made a lot of the mistakes that I knew I was going to potentially encounter. And, you know, what it was, was an opportunity to prepare to avoid those mistakes, you know? And Great. so when there were times when I was looking, okay, should we do this, this retail deal? You know, does this make sense? And it'd be like, we'd review it and he'd be like, doesn't make sense because of this, this, and this. Um, and just being able, just the, the knowledge that you can ask questions at any point to someone you know, obviously without overwhelming them. Right. And it, it just... It so it's really more of a also, friendship thing. It's not necessarily a being paid position type of thing. It's no, more. yeah. You don't have to pay them. You don't have to pay them at all. If you get someone, if you get a good advisory board that believes in your vision, well, I mean, so I offer my, my advisory board stock options, okay? So, you know, they're based on the performance of the company. Um, and at the same time, they're very vested because while it's super, super small, it's still, you know, a form of ownership and it's getting value with our performance. And being so we, invested, and we have a, right. Yeah. And we have, you know, we have Dan who's, who's young, he's like 31. Um, then we have, <clears throat> uh, we have someone, we have, you know, a guy named Tim who used to be the president of ONE Coconut Water and Sweet Leaf. Uh, and then we have another guy. Um, you know, Breck, who used to be the CEO of Mountain Valley Spring. And, and then we have, you know, uh, another person that's more on the, on the social nonprofit side. Um, but, but yeah, so it was also, you know, having a diversified board um, just really allowed to help kind of expand my perspective because you have this tunnel vision too when you're a young entrepreneur and you're like, going, going, going. Opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. And you're like, which yeah. one do I say yes to? Which one do I? Yeah. And eventually you can't see the bigger picture, you know, and yeah. you can't, you know, it Dude, kind of it so prevents you from seeing that long-term strategy. So and that's it can, why these guys are so important. Sometimes, have you ever felt this way too, Ryan? Like sometimes it's literally like someone that's 
like an employee working for me that's like, hey, what about this? And I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I not think of that first thing? And second thing, time. that's genius. <laughs> and that's and that's also why it's like I, I'm so sad that, you know, and thankfully this like kind of old school CEO um, mentality is kind of being phased out in this like new age. But, you know, that's why it's so important to maintain like, you know, that you're approachable with your employees and that you're open. So what is that um, like? What does that process do to do you and, you know, do you invite them in and kind of or is it more just conversation? How does how do you create an atmosphere for that? I mean, well, first and foremost, I have team weekly meetings every Monday where we all touch base. We all like go around and everyone says their good news from the weekend or from the last week, whether it's work or personal. And then, you know, I have department meetings where we're obviously going into the weeds of things. But, you know, if anyone has an idea, you know, they're welcome to shoot me an email, come up to me um, during my kind of my quiet project hours. Um, so it's again, it's kind of an we're a very open. We're a very open company. Like, like we do open book financial. So everyone knows the financial state of the company. Everyone knows the salaries. Um, so again, it's that openness that really, um, I think makes everyone confident that they can really bring up anything. That's so cool. Okay. So tell us some of the sustainable initiatives. You've got some, like you, you guys are differentiated from a product level. Like you do this and this and this and this and this, and it's overwhelming in a good way. It's kind of like, so do you want to buy some other water? It's like, I don't know. I mean, look at, look at all they're doing. I kind of want to invest into that. Talk about some of those things and what you're going to be doing going forward as well. Yeah. So in addition with the kind of sustainability stuff um, that I already mentioned, we, we also have, you know, I said the live ethically side. Yep. So about 5% of our, our revenues go towards local nonprofits um, focusing on education and conservation. And then for every liter that you buy, we also donate about about 325 liters, uh, which is about a month's supply of clean water through, um, we install these elephant pumps with our partner, uh, Pump Aid, uh, throughout Malawi and Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and so that's kind of, those are, you know, that's a huge focus for us is, is being able to continue to implement those. And then, you know, Back to the sustainability thing, one of the things that we're working on going forward um, that I mentioned earlier is that we're hoping to launch um, a bioadditive um, that actually allows our bottles to biodegrade in, um, in landfills and oceans should they end up there accidentally. Um, but That's killer. But the bottles will still be recyclable uh, in regular recycling streams. So we would be you know, the first major beverage to launch such a product, and you know, we would also openly share that IP. So one of the things that, one of the things that I recognize about you, Ryan, is you're like, you're all into making the first, like, which to me is, is epic though, because it really does show that like, Hey, we can innovate. We can tell us a little bit about that. Like, is that just kind of, you kind of wake up and where do these ideas come from? Like, what is this passion behind the innovation? And like, Hey, I want to be in the, I want to be the first that does this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like I'm part of part. I mean, a couple of things are I'm just surprised that it hasn't really been done. <laughs> right. To be honest. That's so and cool. that like, you know, because, again, I, I feel I feel that not only does it make, you know, does it make your product more desirable with consumers, but it also makes your employees work harder because they really love what they do. And they right. love 
what they're working for and towards. Um, yeah. But, you know, in terms of... It is inspiring in when you're working for someone that's kind of like <laughs> wanting to put themselves on them. That is cool because it makes you feel like you can have an idea that might be implemented. Yeah, and they're also working for something that's greater than them, you know. And when they're able to see the impact that we're having in these in these communities in Africa or, in, you know, in Hilo, um, you know, it's substantial. But I think that, you know, it's really, it's not necessarily a desire to be first for, you know, the aesthetics or the marketing. It's really a desire to be first because, you know, we understand these are the problems these were the problems that we knew we were going to address and it was our mission to address when we first started the company right and so we're like slowly basically you know it we're making steps along the way you know the first steps were was you know having the our pet bottles um and and then it was okay the carbon neutrality and then it was okay the facility that you know had a solid renewable energy infrastructure um, and now, you know, we're moving towards, again, what, what I think is potentially the, the, the biggest opportunity for change, which is this bioadditive. Great. So I've got all these little questions too. I'm just going to kind of throw at you and then we'll go into a personal shift. But so tell me about where we can get the water and, um, and then tell me, yeah, let's start there. Where did you, where, where can we get the water? Yeah. So, um, you know, you can get the water at Whole Foods and you can, Actually, see, we're in a bunch of other retailers. You know, we're in Wawa, convenience store, store chain back east. Um, but I really recommend checking out our store locator, and I'm happy to give you the link after, Daniel. Yeah, send me all um, these links that we're talking about. I'll make some notes, sure. and we'll put them all right below the, uh, the podcast and so that's gonna have It's going to have a nice map, and you can literally see the nearest location to you. Um, and then on top of that, you know, we have actually a really, really convenient subscription program where it can just get delivered directly to your door. Wow, that's um, huge. So I recommend that. It's yeah, and you know, uh, it'll deliver in less than you know five business days. So cool. It's, uh, I think that's the most convenient. Okay, so two things for like you know, business owners, visionaries, people running their own business. So how did you get funding for all of this? What did that look like? Um, and then what's your vision for the future? Like, do you want to go big and sell? Do you want to become like where do you want to put yourself on the map? And and what's your future look like for the company? Yeah, so originally, um, you know, it was my co-founder who's no longer with the company but who's still on the board, who's one of my good, good friends uh, and still uh, still advises us. Uh, and we, we put in our our life savings. We had actually, you know, been able to save up a lot of money because we, we worked throughout college uh, and, all, and we worked in high school too. So, um, you know, we had a little bit of money to put away. And then, um, you know, who's the first person you go to? You go to your friends and your family. Um, and right. so that's how we did the first, you know, two small rounds, you know, we, we put together our first, our first kind of little investment rounds, like 250,000 between all of our life savings and our family. And then we were able to, you know, through traction, uh, bring in some outside investors. Um, and you know, beverage industry, especially when you're eventually trying to put your own facility together, even though we've done it, uh, like one tenth the price of <laughs> what a lot of these other companies do. Um, it's very expensive, and so and we we t- when we were twenty two, we really oh my god, I had models left and right talking about how it's going to be cash flow break even in two months. 
and <laughs> that just well, you know, unfortunately, it takes two months probably for the ship to bring all that water to America. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> two to three weeks actually. But yeah, I mean, it's it's exactly. That's I mean, that going, is. I was so. thinking about that, Ryan. That is intense, dude. Like you chose Hawaii, like which first thing, that's my favorite place in the world to go and visit, and everything about Hawaii, the water, like you, all the local companies. I mean. It's amazing how you do ship the water. I just got to say, like, you've got it, man. That's incredible. Thank you, brother. So keep going. Keep going. You were telling us a little bit more about that, and then you're going to go into the vision in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we basically, um, you know, so we finally got some outside investors. Um, and, and yeah, you know, we kind of, we kept on hitting milestones. And the yeah. key thing with when you get outside investors and you're in a company that, you know, requires more funding than say a service company um you know especially with you're dealing with like retail slotting fees etc and we've been able to avoid a lot of those because of the brand dynamics which is yep. amazing um but you know you're you're really trying to prove yourself every single year so until you're profitable or cash flow break even and cool. so you know we had a couple months of that finally last year which was really exciting and then we're gonna be profitable this year um and it's been a grind, but the good thing is that again, every single year we've really focused on you know five major goals and, and or rocks, if you will, and uh, you know we've accomplished them uh, the last four years. Bro, you're such an inspiration. I just got to say that for a second. I I don't say that lightly. Like a lot of these questions, I know that we haven't even really talked about them. I'm just kind of shooting them off, and I'm because I'm just kind of learning from you. You really like. You really went for it, but I, I love your whole idea of like, be relatively fearless, be smart about what you're doing. Like ask bigger questions, qualify your idea. Don't just get lost. Like the wisdom behind it. I mean, it really does show kind of why you've come to where you've come. Thank you, man. That uh, means, that means a lot to me. Like it really do. It really does. So, so are you thinking go big and sell or you, it's kind of like your baby? It's kind of hard to even think that way, isn't it? It's like, yeah. So I think inherently like, you know, that conversation comes up, but, you know, we've always positioned ourselves to where we wanted to create a really sustainable business and a sustainable brand. And what we see is a huge opportunity to really establish a lifestyle brand that embodies that live healthy, live sustainably, live ethically mantra, you know, whether right. that's apparel, whether that's, you know, other, you know, organic food and beverages, um, all under that kind of that, that Waikia brand. Um, and so we see, you know, an opportunity to be a, a, really a, a global brand that is for um, people and planet, not just profits. You know, cool. we're talking about that triple bottom line. So that's, yeah. I think that's that's what we're trying to make. That's good. I like that. Okay, so a few last questions before we end the show here. What's most important to you right now in your life? Like outside of work, what do you? What would you say? Hey, this is. I mean, this is big for me. Um, you know, my family, uh, my girlfriend. Uh, my team and the nonprofits I've, I'm actively involved with in Hilo um, and really enjoying life and adventuring when, as much as possible, man. That's cool. Um, you know, lucky to know <laughs> at a fairly early age when I think a lot of people don't that money doesn't make you happy. And I've been, you know, living off of uh, pretty the income as a founder for the last four years. So I've been able to <laughs> understand <laughs> that I've still been able to be really happy, albeit stressed. Um, and I think that's actually made an impression on me. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, it's amazing that Waikia is basically a vehicle for me to get involved and support a lot of things I care about. But 
um, yeah. So cool. Love to hear that. Thanks for sharing that too. So what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, I, uh, superhero. I mean, (laughs) I think, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, I, I wanted to be, you know, uh, a professional soccer player or a professional surfer. Um, and you know, now I think I want to be a a social activist and maybe, um, you know, after some schooling, kind of become an expert in, in renewable energy. That's so cool. That's great. Well, to end the Dreamcast, we usually ask this question. One of my favorite questions, if you could go back to your 18-year-old self and give advice, what would you tell him? Oh, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd say, and you're, you might, this, this might not be good, but I'd say try not to kill as many brain cells <laughs> and be, be patient, uh, be humble, and take detailed notes and save those notes. That's okay. Good. And, uh, you know, it will always take you probably twice as long to accomplish something. So be ready for it. And <laughs> while the journey will be, you know, arduous at times, do not falter because at the end of the day, you know, it'll be really valuable. Man, Ryan, it's so good. I really appreciate you sharing that. Thanks again for coming on the Dreamcast, making time and uh, appreciate you, you doing that. Hey, Daniel, thank you, man. Okay, have a great one. Mahalo. Yep. Well, thanks everyone for tuning into this week's episode, season two. So pumped, honestly, that we get to really be a steward of your personal development. We don't take it lightly. We appreciate every listen, every person that is a part of our tribe, a part of our community. We'll see you guys next week.